0: In Florida Ag in Review for the week of July 20th, we start off with a report on the Senate Ag Committee's hearing on cap-and-trade. The Senate Ag Committee held its first hearing on cap-and-trade earlier this week, where Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack announced the results of a USDA economic analysis, showing that the economic benefits to agriculture from a cap-and-trade legislation will likely outweigh the cost in the short term.
1: Our analysis indicates that annual net returns to farmers range from about $1 billion per year for the time period 2015 to 2020, to almost 15 to $20 billion in 24, uh, 40 to 2050, not accounting for the cost of implementing cost and offset practices. EPA has conducted its own analysis of returns from offsets that take into account the cost of implementing land management practices. EPA's analysis projects annual net returns to farmers of about $1 to $2 billion per year from 2012 to 2018, rising to $20 billion per year in 2050.
0: However, the preliminary analysis failed to satisfy some members of the Ag Committee, including Nebraska Senator Mike Johans, who's skeptical about the cost estimates, saying that the secretary didn't give an economic analysis, just his own opinion based on data given to him by the EPA.
1: There is no question that they relied upon the EPA analysis. The EPA, in their analysis, anticipates that a certain amount of acres will come out of production and will be planted into forests. I mean literally.
0: Johan says that situation would make it very difficult on meat producers. Vilsack conceded his department's study, like others, has shortcomings. But argued USDA's figures are conservative since new technology and higher prices for renewable fuels could boost farmer incomes even more. But with all the questions remaining, Georgia Senator Saxby Chambliss has asked committee chairman Tom Hearken to consider holding more hearings to better understand the climate change issue and its effects on agriculture, forestry, and rural America. Speaking of climate change and cap and trade, we have this regarding good news for the forestry sector. Well, the previous definition of woody biomass allowed only 8% of U.S. forest land to participate in cap and trade programs. But Frank Stewart with the Forest Landowners Association says that the definition included in the House Clean Energy and Security Act allows forestry to better take advantage of renewable energy mandates.
1: The definition used in the 2008 Farm Bill, basically other plants and trees. Simple, easy to understand.
0: Stewart says a definition can be imperative as it often becomes standard.
1: If it mentions forestry in the future, we want to make sure that there's a good definition in place in case someone decides to cut and paste. In other words, they'll use the definition over and over and over again when referring to forestry, not just woody biomass, but all forestry. And so we don't need to be trying to get in with every single bill. There are hundreds and sometimes thousands of bills in each Congress.
0: Stewart adds that he hopes the new definition will carry over to the Senate side as they start their own discussion regarding climate change legislation. Next, Randall Wiseman has a report on new testing instructions for beef.
1: Federal meat inspectors are receiving streamlined, consolidated instructions to inspect, sample, and act to reduce the presence of E. coli in beef. According to Deputy Undersecretary for Food Safety, Gerald Mandy, next month the Food Safety and Inspection Service will begin testing a type of beef not previously tested. That component called bench trim is comprised of the pieces left over from steaks and other cuts that are then used to make ground beef. These actions to combat E. coli 0157H7 build on a series of previous steps FSIS has taken to ensure our meat is safe. We started with the most common beef cuts that are used to make ground beef, and added additional cuts step-by-step step when the evidence supported it. Mandy made those comments at a recent House Ag Committee hearing on a food safety overhaul bill approved by the Energy and Commerce Committee. Ag panel Democrats and Republicans complained the measure would give the Food and Drug Administration new authority to regulate on-farm production practices. Ag Committee Chairman Colin Peterson said he would try to delay the bill if burdensome regulations affecting farmers aren't addressed.
0: And we continue with Gary Cooper, who has an update to the Citrus Health Response Program.
2: Brought to you in part by MagnaBond, slash your decontamination chemical costs by as much as 78%. Learn more at MagnaBond.com. Also brought to you by Citrus Expo, August 19th and 20th, Fort Myers. Growers, it's a Citrus Expo not to be missed. Find full seminar details and pre-register online for a chance to win a gun safe from Everglades Farm Equipment at CitrusExpo.net. Citrus Expo, sponsored in part by Syngenta Crop Protection and Cardin & Associates. The state's Citrus Health Response Program is gearing up to deal with abandoned groves. It states that recognizing the pest and disease risk associated with abandoned groves, the state is initiating a comprehensive plan for their removal and destruction. A plan announced midweek outlining several key components, including cataloging all abandoned groves and mapping those of high risk, contacting the owners to ask their intentions for the property, informing them if they don't keep the land in production, they'll not be considered part of the Citrus Health Response Plan, and telling them if they eliminate live citrus trees in abandoned groves, it will be considered a bona fide ag use in compliance with CHIRP rules, thus allowing them to maintain their ag tax exemption. Property owners with abandoned groves should contact their nearest Citrus Health Response Plan office.
0: And as we close for the week, we check in with Everett Greiner. Had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich
1: lately? Some people are still a little skittish after those two salmonella incidents last year. Not surprising. Peanut butter sales fell 15% following the second one. It was not a panic situation, simply people being a little cautious. And all the while, this anxiety had us all choked up. The peanut industry was assuring us that noted brands were as safe as ever. Peanut producer organizations began a concerted effort to clean up the image that the disasters had created. I think it worked. Brands like Jif, Peter Pan, and others kept their products prominently displayed on store shelves, and sales picked up as rapidly as they fell. Well, here we are in another peanut growing season. It's going to be a smaller crop this year, but not because of the peanut butter scare. As of today, sales are up 8% higher than ever. How do you like that?
0: And remember, you can find these stories along with all the week's Southeast AgNet reports on our website at southeastagnet.com. Julie McPeak with Southeast AgNet's podcast.